The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy New Year, history fans! Chandler and I are hard at work on a new batch of episodes, but we need a little time to catch up after the holidays. Please enjoy these flashback episodes from the TDI HC Vault, and be sure to tune in on January 9th for a brand new episode. Hey y'all, it's Eves. If you've been listening to the show, then you know that I'm at home for the holidays getting some much-needed rest and relaxation. But I'm still bringing you another episode of This Day in History class, so let's get into the show. The day was January 3rd, 1848. Black American merchant Joseph Jenkins Roberts was sworn into office as the first president of Liberia. Roberts was born a free Black man in Norfolk, Virginia in 1809. His father was likely a white planter, and his mother was Amelia Roberts, a woman of mixed race. Roberts grew up reading books that were in the private library of William Colson, a Black barber whom he apprenticed under. Less than a decade after Roberts was born, the American Colonization Society, or ACS, was established. Black and non-Black Americans supported the immigration of Black Americans to Africa for various reasons. Some people believed they would live safer and happier lives there, free from racial discrimination. Others just wanted Black people out of the country or wanted Black Americans to Christianize Africa. The mission of the American Colonization Society was to send free Black Americans to Africa. Considering the different reasons people supported colonization and the fact that it often made Black folks' lives worse, many people opposed colonization and the ACS. By the 1830s, many abolitionists and Black leaders were denouncing colonization and the ACS for supporting the institution of slavery. But some Black people still supported colonization, and the ACS was still sending ships full of Black immigrants to Africa throughout the early 1800s. The society set about finding a good location for its colony in West Africa. It sent people to Charborough Island in Sierra Leone, where many died because of the island's conditions. 
The ACS then moved its efforts north to Cape Mesirado. Local tribal leaders resisted colonization, but the survivors from Scarborough Island and other people from the U.S. began arriving at Cape Maseradu. In 1824, the colony was dubbed Liberia, with its capital at Monrovia after U.S. President James Monroe. Despite Liberia's early struggles with tribal leaders and with the governing authorities, slave states encouraged the formation of more colonization societies. These societies founded their own colonies in Liberia for formerly enslaved and free Black people. In 1829, Roberts left Virginia for Africa aboard the Harriet with his mother, wife, child, and four siblings. He and his business partner, Colson, planned on exporting timber, animal hides, and other products to North America in exchange for U.S. goods as well as new immigrants. His wife and child died not long after they reached Africa. But Roberts did become a successful merchant. He got land to raise cash crops, paid for his brother to go to medical school in the U.S., and married another woman. Soon, he was recognized as a member of the Upper Crust. He became high sheriff of the colony, collecting taxes from indigenous people. By 1839, he was appointed vice governor. And in 1841, he became the first Black American governor of Liberia. Commerce in Liberia was becoming increasingly lucrative, but Liberia had a hard time protecting its interests as foreign traders encroached on its territory. Roberts and other colonial leaders sought the recognition of Liberian sovereignty. And in October of 1846, the colonial legislature called for a referendum on independence from the ACS. Colonists voted in favor of independence, choosing to cut ties with the ACS and convene a constitutional convention. Liberia was declared an independent republic in July of 1847, and Roberts won the first presidential election. He was inaugurated on January 3, 1848. As president, Roberts sought recognition of Liberian sovereignty from other nations. Much of Europe, Haiti, Brazil, and the U.S. eventually recognized the new republic. Under his presidency, Liberia expanded its territory, but friction remained between Americo-Liberians, as they were known, and indigenous peoples. Roberts was re-elected three times and served eight years in office. He returned to the office in 1872, serving four more years as president. Roberts died in 1876, leaving much of his estate to the Liberian education system. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any notes that you want to send us, you can do so at thisday@iheartmedia.com if you want to email us. And if you'd rather leave us a message on social media, you can do that on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that proves there's more than one way to make history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the story of one of England's most notorious turncoats, a scornful radio broadcaster who taunted the British public all through World War II. The day was January 3rd, 1946. William Joyce, 
better known to the British as Lord Haw Haw, was put to death for betraying his country on behalf of Nazi Germany. For six years, beginning in 1939, Joyce broadcasted anti-British propaganda over the radio. He was quickly given the nickname Lord Haw Haw by the British press because of his cosmopolitan accent and his smug, sneering voice. He began each nightly bulletin by announcing, Germany calling, Germany calling, and then he would give a roundup of the latest war news, or at least the stories that were flattering to Germany. The show's menacing, mocking tone was meant to chip away at British morale, as were its frequent suggestions that the British should just give up and surrender. During the war, Joyce broadcast from behind German lines, careful to spit his venom only from a safe distance. However, when the Nazi regime finally fell, Lord Haw Haw had nowhere left to hide. William Joyce was executed for high treason against the British crown, but his nationality was a little more complicated than that suggests. He was actually an American, born in Brooklyn, New York in 1906. His parents were both from Ireland, and his father had become a naturalized U.S. citizen ten years earlier. The family moved back to Galway, Ireland, when Joyce was three years old. He grew up there and then moved to England when he was just 14. There, he lied about his age and wound up being recruited as a courier for the British Army during the Irish War for Independence. When it was discovered that he was underage, Joyce was dismissed from service but decided to remain in London. He enrolled in Birkbeck College, and it was during his studies that he first began to flirt with the idea of fascism. One day, Joyce attended a meeting for a Conservative Party candidate, and a fight broke out in the crowd. Joyce was slashed with a razor along the right side of his face, and the attack left him with a deep scar that ran all the way from his earlobe to the corner of his mouth. He described his attackers as Jewish communists, and later used the event as justification for joining the fascist movement. In 1932, Joyce made his support official by joining the British Union of Fascists, a political party founded that same year. Joyce quickly climbed the ranks of the group and became its director of propaganda in 1934. He had a way with words, but as time went on, his rhetoric became more and more aggressive and overtly anti-Semitic. In late August of 1939, just before the official start of World War II, Joyce and his wife Margaret traveled to Germany on British passports. Joyce had obtained his passport one year earlier by pretending to be a British subject when he was in fact an American citizen. Once the war had officially begun, Joyce renounced his phony British citizenship and became a German citizen instead. He then traveled to Berlin, where he joined the Reich Ministry of Propaganda, and began hosting his radio show, Germany Calling. The head of the ministry, Joseph Goebbels, selected Joyce largely because he was a foreign fascist. It was hoped that Joyce's clipped British accent would make Nazi propaganda more compelling and palatable to listeners in allied countries. At first, Joyce's broadcasts were simply aimed at sowing division among the British populace, 
and for that he stuck close to the fascist playbook, pitting the classes against each other, undermining trust in the government, and scapegoating minorities. British citizens were discouraged from listening to the German broadcast, but many did so anyway. In fact, the show drew an estimated 6 million regular listeners and 18 million occasional listeners throughout the United Kingdom. Some people thought Joyce's fiery rhetoric was a lively counterpoint to the somber broadcasts of the BBC. Others wanted to hear an uncensored report on German victories and were willing to put up with Lord Haw Haw to get it. However, as the war went on, Joyce's propaganda turned increasingly caustic. By May of 1940, he was threatening British citizens with invasion and urging them to switch sides before it was too late. The broadcasts lost their appeal from that point on, and most citizens began to view them as a genuine threat to the country. Of course, Lord Haw Haw didn't care what the British public thought of him. He continued broadcasting throughout the war, moving from one German town to another to avoid Allied bombing raids. Then, at last, on the evening of April 30th, 1945, Lord Haw Haw recorded his final broadcast. The show came in the final days of the Battle of Berlin, just a few hours before Adolf Hitler shot himself in his bunker. As you might expect, the final broadcast wasn't Joyce's best work given the circumstances. He was noticeably drunk, and his tirades were far more rambling and incoherent than usual. I am talking to you about Germany. That is a concept that many of you may have failed to understand. Let me tell you that in Germany there still remains the spirit of unity and the spirit of strength. Let me tell you that here we have a united people who are modest in their wishes. They are not imperialists. They don't want to take what doesn't belong to them. All they want is to live their own simple lives. After signing off with a farewell Heil to the Fuhrer, Joyce fled with his wife to a small village on the border of Germany and Denmark. They hid there until May 28th, when Joyce was found and arrested by British intelligence officers who, get this, recognized his voice from the radio. He was handed over to British military police and then taken to London to stand trial on three counts of high treason. The question of jurisdiction loomed large in the case. Joyce did have a British passport, but he only got it by lying about his country of origin. Otherwise, he had only ever been an American or German citizen, and neither of those can be charged with treason against Great Britain. In the end, the jury decided that the passport was valid, but that Joyce couldn't be charged with treason for anything he did after it expired in 1940. That decision led to Joyce being acquitted on two of the three counts. However, the last count was for broadcasts he had made between 1939 and early 1940, when his passport was still valid. On that final count, Joyce was found guilty and sentenced to death on September 19, 1940. 
1945. Joyce appealed the verdict but was dismissed by the House of Lords. On January 3, 1946, he was taken to Wandsworth Prison and hanged at 9 a.m. that morning. It was later reported that Joyce remained remorseless up to his death, but made no complaint about his execution. A formal notice of his death was posted outside the prison, where about 250 spectators had gathered. His body was shown to the jury that convicted him upon their request, and was then buried in an unmarked grave on the prison grounds. Thirty years later, Joyce's daughter successfully petitioned to have his body exhumed and returned to his childhood home in Ireland. Even in death, there was still a question as to where William Joyce belonged. He was a natural-born citizen of the United States, raised in Ireland, educated in England, adopted by Germany. However, his identity was defined more by his commitment to fascist ideology than by any allegiance to a specific country or people. That blind devotion is what made Joyce such an effective propagandist, but it's ultimately what cost him his life as well. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have a second and you're so inclined, consider following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can write to us directly at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.